good to hear sharing God's word with you again. I hope you've been blessed blessed so far by the uh, service. And I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 10 with me. Romans chapter 10. And we'll read from verses 6 to 10 this morning. Romans chapter 10, verse 6. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. Say not in thine heart who shall ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who shall descend into the deep, that is to bring up Christ again from the dead. For what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and commit this time to him. Father in heaven, once again, we thank you for your precious word and that we can trust every word within it. Father, we pray that our hearts would be directed now to your truth, that our hearts would be open to that truth, and that, our, that our minds, Father, would be ready to understand those things which you would have for us today. Father, I pray that your spirit would teach us directly from your word, that you would simply use me as an instrument in your hand, Father, that you would hide me behind that cross of Calvary, so that Jesus may be seen. We ask this in his name. Amen. Now, most of you are uh, well aware of a little adventure I had a few weeks ago with my heart, where I ended up in the Northern Hotel. <laughs> it is a hotel. It was a beautiful hotel. Lovely people working there, and they fed me okay. Food wasn't probably as good as some hotels, but it was okay. Um, my heart decided to go into a particular rhythm. Now, you, when you sing a song, you normally sing to a particular rhythm. Well, my heart decided to change the rhythm of the song. I didn't like that song, to be, to be honest with you. It wasn't a very pleasant song. Um, but I do appreciate the prayers that you have had for me and the concern you've had for my health over the past few weeks. And it's especially a blessing to be in a church um, with people that love you and care for you and are concerned as well. So, um, so thank you very much for those prayers and for your concern. This isn't the first time I've had this problem though. So for those of you who have been with me, have known me for a while, you'll also understand that a few years back I had a heart operation. I was born with a congenital problem with one of the valves in my heart. Um, and eventually by the age of about 44, my, that valve did, chose not to work anymore. Well, when one of the valves in your heart doesn't work, it means the blood isn't pumping around your body too well. And so I had that sorted out uh, a few years back, but it wasn't perfect, the actual repair. Um, and part of that problem that came from that, from the actual surgery, was that every now and then my heart decides to have a bit of a flutter. Um, and this particular time it decided to flutter and fly, almost fly away completely. So. Um, it, it's okay, it's not one of those things where I would have just died on the spot or anything like that, but it has to be managed, obviously. But I do appreciate also the surgeons, and I appreciate those specialists who really know some amazing things. Uh, because I, wouldn't be, be, I would not be with you here today, in this capacity anyway, if they hadn't diagnosed me with that, with that problem that I was born with, um, nor if they were, weren't able to fix it. Because if you... If the blood isn't pumping around your body well enough, you don't have a lot of energy. So you can't be doing a lot of the things that you would normally do or take for granted. So I really appreciate the, the wisdom, the knowledge they have. And, and that wisdom and knowledge, and we have to thank God that we live in a country where we have access to these types of people and these services, because it's allowed me for the past few years to minister to you. It's allowed me to do God's work. It's allowed me to enjoy a lot of God's blessings in my life that I wouldn't have otherwise. And I'm sure there are many of you sitting here who are also thankful for operations that you've had. The heart is a vital organ, all right. Uh, it's important to take care of it. Um, and so, yes, 
for those of you who are wondering, yes, I am taking care of myself. Okay, and I'm, look, I'm taking care of my heart under the guidance of a, a nice Jewish cardiologist who I'm trying to share the gospel with, so please pray for him. Um, you can die physically if your heart fails. No? And there have been a number of people that have been famous who have died over the last couple of years because their hearts have failed. But I'm not talking about today um, physical hearts. Today my topic will be about the heart that the Bible speaks about, the heart that can be broken. Okay, And I'm, I'm sure there's plenty of Australian soccer fans out there with broken hearts this morning. But the Bible speaks about a heart um, and has much to say about the heart. And what we see in our world is that there are plenty of ruined lives because of broken hearts. People who have hearts that have been torn by grief, who have lost people that are precious to them, who have had to endure grief and sadness that their heart just could not handle. There are hearts that have been shattered who have been shattered by the carelessness and sinfulness of others. There are hearts that have been scarred and also fearful to love again, lest they be hurt again. There are hearts that are filled with the cares of this world, but that are really empty. And there are hearts that are filled with sin and self because they haven't experienced the love of God. But then there are hearts in this world and I pray this is true for you, that have been touched by the love of Jesus Christ, that have him at their core, that have set their affections upon him and that are filled with his hope. The word of God, as I've said, has much to say about hearts. And as broken as our hearts can be, and as broken as people, people's hearts are, God created those hearts to love. That's the purpose for which they were created. First of all, to love him in return, to receive his love, and then to love one another. The Bible also gives us a lot of advice on how to care for these hearts that, that it speaks about. And like a perfect cardiologist, the word of God provides us the best means in order to diagnose those hearts to tell us what's wrong with them, but also then how they can be fixed. And that's the message I'm going to have for you today. And hopefully it'll touch your heart because it's coming from mine. This message is about how to diagnose the condition of your heart, but also how that heart can be fixed and how what difference Jesus makes to a heart. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 for a moment. And we'll start looking at this thing called affection because the heart is the center of our affections, which means those things we hold in our hearts, the things that are most important to us. Okay, And this is Jesus' advice to us about what we should keep within our hearts. Matthew 6, 19 says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Okay, so the first thing we need to understand is that the heart contains affections for things. It contains those things and holds on to those things which it deems to be the most precious. The things that you value the most are the things that you have and hold within your heart the most. If you love the riches of this world and they're the things that you value the most, your heart will hold on to those riches. If you love your family the most, then these are things that your heart will hold on to the most. It's inevitable that we are going to love our family. We're going to love our friends. Those of you who have children know exactly what I'm talking about. 
That's a natural thing to hold on to. But Jesus is telling us, don't hold on to the things of this world. Don't build your heart or don't fill your heart with the things of this world. Fill your heart with things that actually are not even here, that are in heaven. If you ever wonder what are the things that you value the most, then simply ask yourself how you would react if that thing was taken away from you. How would you be? If the thing that you are wondering whether you love actually is not with you anymore. There are some people who hold on to the things of this world with a vice-like grip and their hearts are filled with those things. The worst stock market crash in the history of the world apparently happened in 1929 before the Great Depression. And that particular time saw people who had built up wealth over the time in the stock market and wealth and, and, and money and things of that nature lose their wealth literally overnight. And so there are numerous stories of people having committed suicide soon after. People who threw themselves off buildings, okay, because they couldn't face life anymore because that which was most precious to them was gone. And they couldn't see themselves going on any further without that thing. <coughs> to throw your life away in that particular manner is an indication of what you hold most dear. So my question to you is we start this uh, sermon and we'll, it'll lead into next week as well. My question for you, and I'd like you to answer this for yourselves, is what do you hold in your heart that's most valuable to you? What is it in your heart that is the most precious thing that you have? And immediately, I'm assuming some of you, a picture will come up. And it may be a family member. It may be your loved ones. It may be something else. Okay, the question is, what do you love the most? What things are so precious to you that you can't see yourself without them? What you value the most will be the thing that your, heart's, your heart is holding on to the most. So the Lord advises us in this particular passage to lay up treasure for ourselves in heaven. Um, for if that truly is our greatest treasure, then that is where your heart will be. You know, when, when two people love each other, they may be separated by a long distance. But your heart is still where the other person is, isn't it? And so that's exactly what Jesus is talking about. Your, your treasure in heaven, if that's truly your treasure, and what, this is what Jesus is telling us, then that's where your heart is going to be. Because that's the thing that's most precious to you. But what type of treasures is Jesus talking about? I mean, the Bible does tell us there's going to be roads paved with gold. Who likes gold bars here? I could do with a few gold bars. But the roads are going to be made of gold. Probably not going to be as valuable as here. You know, when your pavement, you're going to be start, you know, there's probably going to be some people starting to try to dig up the pavement. <coughs> it won't be as valuable as here. <coughs> Maybe it's that house that Jesus is making for you. Maybe it's that mansion that you're looking forward to and he's been building for 2,000 years, so imagine that. Right? Maybe it's you're looking forward to seeing all the angels in heaven. Maybe you're looking forward to seeing all the Old Testament saints in heaven and maybe seeing all the New Testament saints as well. I don't know, maybe you're looking forward to seeing your family in heaven or seeing loved ones that you've lost and maybe catching up with them again. What is the most valuable thing in heaven? Well, Jesus gives us the answer a little further down the, the, that passage in verse 24. Matthew 6.24 then tells us, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold on to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You will love the one and hate the other. The treasure that Jesus is speaking about here is God. He is the greatest treasure. In fact, Jesus is speaking about himself. He is the greatest treasure because God has expressed himself through his son. That is why the most important commands and the summary of all the commandments that are in the Bible are summarized in only two. 
Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength, and thou shalt love thy neighbour as thyself. They're the two greatest commandments. They, enc they encapsulate all the other commands because if you really love God, you're not going to break his heart, are you? You're not going to want to disappoint him. You're going to want to serve him because he loves you and because of who he is. And if, you, if your heart is filled with that love and you understand the second part of it, you will love your neighbour. You will love everyone else around you. The big problem for mankind is that according to the Bible, the hearts that we have are not very good things. Like my uh, faulty valve, the hearts that we have don't work very well. They don't hold love very well. They're prone to be filled with ourselves and our own sin and our own lusts and desires because we have a fallen nature. You might say, that's not my fault. It's Adam and Eve's fault, right? Unfortunately, we are born with that problem. We have hearts that go wandering. And the Bible has a lot to say about this problems that we have with our hearts because, let me ask you simply, I've just given you two simple commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength and your neighbour as yourself. Who does that perfectly? Now, why is it so hard? Why are two simple things, two simple commands that we know to be true, that we know to be right, intellectually we can say, yes, that makes sense. If there's a God who is perfect and, and he's, he's all-powerful and he's all-loving and he's this amazing character that, that the Bible tells us about, then I deserve, he deserves to be loved. He, in return, he deserves to be worshipped. He deserves to be served. We know that intellectually it makes sense. And if he wants, if that same God loves the world that he's so much that he sent his son into the world, then he wants me to love them the same way. We know that to be true. Yeah, why can't we do it? Why don't we do it? Why is it that within a short time we, can, we stumble and fall when we even try? It's because we have hearts that are prone to sin. We have hearts prone to loving ourselves before anything else. And so when you try to put something in front of your fallen nature and you say, keep your focus on that, love that, the first thing our, our fallen nature says, no, I have to be first. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 16 for a moment. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 16, because... This challenge of having God first in our hearts is not a small challenge, not for even for believers. That's why we have to remind ourselves regularly not to be distracted by our own hearts. Deuteronomy chapter 10 verse 16 says this, and you'll understand that to be a Jew you had to be circumcised as a male. God, God has put things in place to picture other things. God says to his own people in Deuteronomy 10, 16, he says, Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no more stiff-necked. Why, why was Israel stiff-necked? Why, why were they so hard-headed? God's, God's saying, why are you so hard-headed? Cut away that thing which is, which is not right, which is holding you back from loving me completely because of fallen nature look at Deuteronomy eleven sixteen. God gives his people another warning Deuteronomy eleven sixteen says he says take heed to yourselves that your heart be not deceived and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them he warned his people over and over and over again be careful that your heart isn't drawn away to love other gods which aren't gods at all. Did they heed his warning? No. Turn to Psalm 81.10. Psalm 81.10. There are plenty of verses I can give you with respect to this particular thing, this topic. I'm just giving you a few here just to give you the, a sense of a picture of the problem with our own hearts because Israel, if anything, is just a picture of us and the challenge we have. 
Psalm 81 verse 10 says, I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. Open thy mouth wide and I will fill it. But my people would not hearken to my voice, and Israel would none of me. So I gave them up unto their own heart's lust, and they walked in their own counsels. They didn't want God. And eventually the Bible tells us in Romans that if you continually say, I don't want you, I want something else, you know what God does? You can have it if you don't want me. If you reject me, I'll eventually allow you to have. He may hold you back for a while because he doesn't want you to fall over a cliff. But if you persist hard enough, if you insist hard enough, God will eventually say, have what you want. And unfortunately, we see a world around us where people are insisting they don't want God and God's handing them over and saying, have what you want. And that's the, the story of Revelation. Because the story of Revelation pictures a world that has rejected God completely and says, we don't want you. We don't want your laws. We don't want to bow a knee to you. We, want to, we don't want to serve Christ. We don't, we, we're not... We're not insufficient to take care of ourselves we you know we're not uh, sinners over here we are right in our own eyes we don't need you and so god is telling the world here you can have then what you want and eventually what they will get is the antichrist and that will bear the consequences of it so god gives up people to their own lusts and because jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And hence the dilemma that we have. But turn to Mark chapter 7 with me. Mark chapter 7, verse 6 and 7. And Jesus says, and he answered and said unto them in Mark 7, 6, Well, hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honoureth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. That was in Jesus' day. We've gone from, we've gone from when God saved Israel from Egypt, then to the days of Jesus, exactly the same. Has anything changed today? No, exactly the same. Because there are plenty of churches in this world who are filled with people who honour God with their lips, but their hearts are not his. They don't have him within their hearts and they're playing religion, thinking that their good works are going to earn them merit before God. That by going to church and by doing good things and giving money to the poor and doing all these things that they are going to stand before God one day and said, look at me. Look at all the wonderful things I'm bringing to you, God. And God looks at all those filthy rags that they bring into heaven and he says, sorry, that won't cut it. You don't quite earn the, you haven't paid the fee to enter. And the world is filled with that. Our hearts, the Bible says, are essentially like broken clay pots. Ever, ever, ever had a clay pot before um, that has, that's been cracked and, and, uh, and broken? Not very good at holding water, is it? Um, and how do you fix a clay pot? You can't. You can try to put a bit of wax in there, um, try to fill up those, those holes. It doesn't really last. The Bible tells us that our hearts are like broken clay pots. And there's only one who can fix that type of thing, and that's God. And you know how he does it? He gives us a new one. He actually gives us a brand new heart. And that's why, going back to Romans chapter 10, go back to Romans chapter 10, verse 8 to 10 with me, because there's a particular thing that can occur in a person's life that when he comes into that broken clay pot, all that that infertile ground where God's word can penetrate and actually start to bear fruit and life, 
that can make a world of difference. And it's when the heart takes hold of Jesus and the message of the gospel that things change. Where life comes from no life, where wholeness comes from brokenness. Romans 10.8 says, And what saith it? The word is nigh thee. It means it's close to you. Even in your mouth, you just have to say it. And in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. No need to work for it. No need to try and, and, try and build up all the merit points that you can get. God doesn't have a frequent flyer program, by the way. That you can be saved simply by believing in your heart the Lord Jesus and confessing him with your mouth. Salvation comes when, one, when a person recognizes how precious Jesus is. That's what salvation is. You recognize how precious he is compared to everything else you have in this world. When you stack up everything you have and then you see him on the other side and you go, wow, he's so much more, so much more valuable, so much more important than anything that I've been chasing my entire life. That is why it has to be received in your heart. It can't just be stuck in your head. The gospel is not some intellectual um, pursuit or exercise but it needs to be aimed at the heart for those of you who love sharing the gospel i'll counsel you this speak to a person's heart don't try and win them over with fancy arguments or with apologetics that you're going to win the argument in the day thinking that you've broken through no no it's not you that breaks through to anywhere you may have won a particular, an intellectual argument, but if you don't speak to a person's heart, if they don't receive Jesus in their heart, and you know who speaks to a person's heart? Only God can speak to a person's heart. So either you, God can speak through you, or you're speaking on your own behalf, and you won't get anywhere. So speak, seek to speak by the grace of God to a person's heart, when you're speaking to them because if it doesn't penetrate this thing they're not going to receive him the truth must be believed in the heart before a profession can be made with the mouth the message must hit the heart not just the head and as i've said there are plenty of people in this world who have filled up churches who have a lot of stuff going on up here have a lot of information up here and may agree with a lot of the stuff that we say, that we believe. But they don't know him because they haven't received him here. And the only one who can speak directly to your heart and to anyone's heart is God himself through the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus tells us in John 16, 7, he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. How's that? Jesus tells his disciples, it's good for you that I'm going. I'm sure they weren't, they weren't agreeing immediately with that one. Jesus says, it's better if I go. Better if I go up to heaven. He says, for if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. It's a Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that convicts a person in their heart of their own sin, not us. It's a Holy Spirit that points to the righteousness that comes from Jesus Christ. It's the Holy Spirit that warns of judgment to come. It is only the Holy Spirit that can break through the barricades and the walls that people put up around their hearts for whatever reason. And there are plenty of reasons that people barricade their hearts. I've heard more than one story of people that have been burned by other Christians, that have had a bad experience with other Christians. And in their, their mind, they put then up a wall up around their heart to protect themselves from any further Christians and what they might do to them. And other people have been destroyed by other people that have been made to feel low and insignificant there are people who have been completely betrayed by other people and are afraid then to trust anyone else to break through to this particular place 
And so they build up walls around their heart. And there's only one who can break through. And that's the Holy Spirit who can tell people what sin is and show people how much God loved them, that he sent his son to die for them and then lead them into a relationship with him. And so Ezekiel eleven twenty nine says, when God does that, when God finally breaks through to a person's heart and they see a glimpse of his love and they recognize the love of the Savior for them and they see his value and worth, the Bible says in Ezekiel that I will, I will give them one heart and I will put a new spirit within you and I will take the stony heart out of their flesh and will give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my ordinances and do them. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. See, God wants to give you a new heart. God, have you noticed a common theme in the Bible? He doesn't fix up what's already there. Have you noticed that? He doesn't fix us up. He gives us a new self. He doesn't, you know, these bodies that are falling apart. Um, he doesn't fix those. He gives us a brand new body. The broken heart that we had before that doesn't know how to love, he gives you a new heart. The nature that the fallen nature you had before, he doesn't fix that fallen nature. He gives you a new nature, his own. God gives that which is new. And this new heart that God gives you is indestructible. It doesn't break. It understands the precious things of God. It appreciates them. It values them. And those things that were completely unknown to you before or common or things that were not appreciated before all of a sudden become precious. Things that I didn't appreciate before I got saved, things as, such as God's character, God himself, things such as righteousness, holiness, purity, love, forgiveness, mercy, grace, temperance, all of a sudden have become important to me now. Things such as heaven, the fellowship with other believers, the church, faith, prayer, and the word of God that we hold in our hands. All of a sudden, all these things may become precious to me. Why? Did I put them there? No, no, no. He puts them there. He actually puts those desires, plants those desires within us. And so, if you have that this morning... If you've appreciated and you've received Christ as your Savior, you understand how important and precious He is. And the Bible tells you to do one thing, and that's to guard your heart. Guard it. Turn to Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 with me. Proverbs chapter 4, verse So it says there in Proverbs 4.23, and this is a, the, a verse that I'll be taking through the, to, the rest of this, to the rest of this chapter. It says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Now, there's a lot of fuss being made by doctors and by um, cardiologists or whatever to look after the health of your heart, of your physical heart, which is fair enough. Because if you have a... For example, a history of people in your family that have died of heart attacks and that have atherosclerosis or whatever else they might have, it's a good idea to keep an eye on that thing. It's a good idea to make sure that it's not, you're not going in the same track because there are things you can do to protect it. But this is telling us that we are to keep our hearts, those hearts that I've been speaking to you about, with all diligence. Make every effort to keep your heart, for out of it are the issues of life real life and things that also have to do with death the heart as i've said is the seat of our desires our affections our thoughts especially our beliefs in god's eyes our hearts are extremely important they are a precious thing to us and to him and every heart is very different my heart is the same as yours and your heart is the same as the person sitting next to you because we've all been through different paths and those hearts have all been affected in different ways. 
But what does it mean to keep? I want to just dwell on this just for a moment. Turn right back to the first time we mentioned this word keep in the Bible. And it's Genesis chapter 2 verse 15. That tells us to keep our hearts with all diligence. And I want to just make sure you understand this word and what God is asking you this morning. We're going to allow God's word to define this particular thing for us. Genesis chapter 2 verse 15 and we're going to work our way through a few of these verses so I'm hoping you're connecting the dots as we're going along. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to, what your Bible says, keep it. Okay, well dressing it is like, what? it's like cutting it and pruning it and, and, and making sure it's neat and tidy and maybe they, you pick the fruit in their seasons and stuff like that. Okay, well that sort of stuff. But what does it mean to keep it? Um, well, obviously, God gave Adam a responsibility. He had a responsibility to, to do something in that garden, um, to keep it. But what, what does it mean? Well, look at the next verse. Look at Genesis 3.24. This is after they fell. Genesis 3.24 it says, so he drove out the man. All right, obviously he didn't do his job properly, did he? He drove out the man and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims. They're angels. And a flaming sword which turned every way, what does it say? To keep the way of the tree of life. So what are those angels there doing? So he puts man in the garden. He says, I want you to keep this thing. And next minute, within a chapter, he's kicked him out of that garden and he's put angels at the door to keep the path to the tree of life. What are, they, what are the angels doing? They're guarding it. They're guarding it. They're protecting it. They're not allowing that which is not supposed to be there in and keeping whatever's in there in. They're protecting. They're guarding. Did Adam do a good job of guarding? No. You know why? Because he let that very thing in which he wasn't supposed to let in. When he's there with his wife and the devil is, is bringing in a lie, Adam should have been the first one to realise that's not supposed to be here. He's not supposed to be saying that because it's the opposite of what God told me. Instead, he didn't. He allowed, he allowed his wife right in front of his eyes to swallow that lie, and then he went and did the same thing as well. Did he guard the garden? No, he failed. And the next minute, he was out of that garden. Now, turn with me to Genesis 4.2 now. Genesis 4.2 speaks about their children. Okay? And so Adam and Eve... Outside, kicked out of the garden, they now have two children, Cain and Abel. And it says there in verse 2, and she, and she again bare his brother. So Cain's been born, the first child in the world. Cain, uh, and it says, and she again bare his brother Abel. And it says, and Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Abel was keeping sheep. And what is a keeper of sheep? What do we call that person? A shepherd. What does a shepherd do? What do shepherds do? They feed the sheep. They lead the sheep to pasture. They protect the sheep. They guard the sheep from predators. So they protect the sheep from starvation, from getting lost, because if they wander off, you try to bring them back in. They protect, they protect the sheep from predators, Hmm. And so look at verse 9 of Genesis 4. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? <laughs> and he'd murdered his brother. Am I meant to protect this guy? Am I his protector? Am I his shepherd? Do you understand what keeping means now? 
Jesus says in Luke 11, 21, when a strong man armed keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace. So when the Bible tells you and me to keep our hearts, what's it saying? Guard it. Don't let in the bad stuff. Keep the good stuff in. Don't let it get lost. Feed it. Protect it. Watch it. You are responsible for what God has put within your heart and he's given you a brand new one. And you, I dare say, if any of you have bought a new car or a new appliance or something like that, you don't just not look after it, do you? You look after it. You care for it. You keep it clean. You make sure it's maintained. You make sure, well, that's what God is telling us to do with the hearts that we have. The clear implication here is that the heart is something that can be broken into it can be seized. It can be corrupted. And when it's corrupted, it affects the way we see the world, the way we respond to the Lord, and the way we treat each other. So, how are we to keep our hearts? Well, like a good shepherd or a good guard, we are to let in only those things which God <coughs> says are good and to keep out those things which God says are evil or sin. Why is this? Because the Bible simply teaches that what is in your heart will eventually come out. And what comes out of your mouth and the decisions you make are what's contained within here. And I would submit to you that non-Christians often do a better job of keeping their hearts than Christians. They often do. They have to protect their hearts a whole lot more than we do. You ever tried to share the gospel with someone? Ever been an easy exercise? No. Because they've got those guards up the whole time. They are so afraid that you are going to change what they have inside that they keep resisting and resisting and resisting and only God can break through. And yet here are Christians who say, I don't care what comes in. The doors are wide open for everything and everyone and we allow ourselves way too much to come in to our hearts that should not be there. Like any good gatekeeper, the implication here is to guard what goes into your heart while keeping a watch for what comes out of it. The goal of this thing is to keep the good stuff in and keep adding good stuff while stopping the bad stuff from entering and removing more bad stuff as time goes on. That's why David prays and he says to the Lord, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Why does he ask that of God? Because he wants God to tell him what's there that he's not sure of. <laughs> what ends up going into your heart, what you're holding onto your heart eventually comes out in your life and in your words and that's why it says for out of it are the issues of life out of it implies that you should guard what comes out as well as what goes in so matthew go to matthew chapter 12 with me almost done matthew 12 34 and 35 Look at what Jesus speaks to the people who would reject him. He says, O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. So the simple teaching here is that what is in your heart, what you hold on to that you think is precious, is eventually going to come out in your life. And people are going to see it, and God already sees it. Because he already knows what's in your heart. And look at, go forward to Matthew 15, 18 and 19. Matthew 15, 18 and 19. In 12, Jesus is saying, what you speak comes out of the abundance of your heart. Now Jesus is saying, look where sin comes from. 
Verse 18 says, But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, and blasphemies. Where do they come from? From the heart. From what's there. What's in your heart will eventually come out in your life. It will come out in what you speak. It will come out in your decisions. It will come out in the path you take and the choices you make. And next week <clears throat> is the second part of this sermon. And I want to look at those things that are listed for us in the Bible that we should be keeping. Keeping in and those things we should be keeping definitely out. And I'm going to try to do this in as practical way as possible so that you understand it from today's point of view and how those things speak about what people get up to today. I'm hoping to explain this in a practical way, in a way that examines our hearts. So first of all, I want us to give us the tools to examine our own hearts according to the word of God. And then I want to give us the tools next week to say, how do we keep stuff out? And how do I lock the important stuff in? That's what I'd like to do next week. But the most important thing is I close this morning. The most important thing that you have to do before any of this guarding takes place is to firstly surrender your heart to Christ. Allow him to come in. Because if he's not in there, then all you've got is yourself. And that's not a very good position to be in. If your heart is not regenerated, in other words, if Christ is not sitting on a throne in there. If Christ is not the most important treasure in your heart this morning, then, my dear friend, you need a new heart. And only God can give you that. Only God can give you a completely fresh start. Only God can take away all of your sins and wrap up eternal life as a gift and hand it to you. And all you have to do is say thank you. But if Christ isn't in that, then you've received something else and not eternal life. Now, Jesus, and I'll just put this in plain words. If Jesus is not first in your life, if he's not first, then you're severely in trouble. I speak this to Christians as well as those who are not saved. Jesus tells us in Matthew 10, 37, he that loveth, now listen to these words, but listen carefully because he doesn't mince them. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. You know what he's saying with that last verse? Take up your cross because people say that all the time. Oh, you take up your cross and follow Jesus. Do you understand what it means to take up your cross? You know where you're heading when, you take, when you're carrying your own cross? The Romans were forcing you to carry your own death penalty. So Jesus is saying, you better not love yourself more than me too. And you might think to yourself this morning, how arrogant is that? That Jesus would want me to love him more than my family, more than even my own life. Well, Yes, because of who he is. If you put everything else before him, if you put anything else before him, you have your priorities wrong. And when you have your priorities wrong within your heart, you are going to make bad decisions. You are going to make bad choices in your life. And that's why Jesus says, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, to confess him means to say, I believe in him. I trust him above all else. I'm going to entrust my eternal destiny in his hands. Think about that for a moment. If you believe in life after death, and many people in this world do, okay? There are people who are Hindu, there are people who are Buddhist, there are people who, who are Muslim, whatever else it is. There are people who believe in a lot of things about after death, don't they? Most of the world believes in life after death. And here Jesus is, and he comes along and says, you believe in life after death? Then you better entrust your soul to me. Think about that for a moment. And he says, if you love anyone more than me, you're not going to get it. 
That's why when you confess your, with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you're saying that he is exactly who he said he is. And he is alive. And he is not just my saviour, but he is the Lord of all. And God has manifested himself through his son to me. And I now recognise him for who he is. So believer, this morning, if you don't have Jesus, then I, I, I ask you, please, invite him into your heart today. Repent and turn to him. Understand that there is no salvation outside of him. He is the one and the only way to God. There is no other way given among, given among men. There's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. And believer, where's Jesus in your priority list? Is he first? Really, is he first? Is what's coming out of your mouth and the decisions you make, is that an indication that he's first in your life? Or is he coming down somewhere, that scale? I'll remind you of this. When Jesus spoke to the seven churches in the book of Revelation, there was a particular church called the church of Ephesus. And he says this to them, Thou hast borne and hast patience, and for my name's sake has laboured, you've done work, and has not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Whose love are you talking about? The girlfriend? No. Him. He's the first love. And by the time we get to the book of Laodicea, which is the final church in the book of Revelation, which so epitomizes uh, the culture that we are in and the church that we are in, Jesus says this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. He's speaking this not to unbelievers, but to the church. In other words, the church had become an unbelieving church and he was no longer in the heart. He was now outside the heart knocking if he can come in so my question to you and i'll close with this is who is jesus to you today where is jesus today you might say he's sitting at the right hand of the father but my question to you is where is he in your heart because that will determine your tomorrow if you have Jesus in your heart, then wonderful news. Keep what's there. Guard him with everything that you have. Put him first in every decision that you make. Protect the doors of your heart because he stands either outside, your heart knocking to come in, and if he's inside, then make sure that he is number one inside. God bless you.